Today's scripture reading is taken from Daniel chapter 2, verses 20 through 23. And Daniel declared, May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons, he removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness and light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power. And now you have let me know what we asked of you, for you have let us know the king's mystery. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks, John, for reading that passage. This fall, we're in a new series on the book of Daniel. It's entitled Faithful in Exile. In the fall, we usually focus on something that will provide us with vision and direction as a church. And I can think of no better book than the book of Daniel to do this for us this fall. Why? Well, Daniel is about life in exile. It's written about and written to people who suddenly lost all sense of normalcy and predictability about their lives. It begins with the great Babylonian king, Nebuchadnezzar, who conquered Israel. He conquered the Jewish people. He raised Jerusalem and its temple to the ground. And he took all the leaders of Jerusalem to Babylon in captivity. Daniel was one of these leaders. And though he lived in one of the greatest crises in the Bible, if you look at the whole Bible, Daniel is actually one of the most faithful characters in the whole Bible. And what we find as we look at the entire book is that it actually was his experience in exile that produced such a resilient and deep faith in Daniel. So for Daniel, what did exile mean? What is, what is this concept of exile? It meant for him not being at home. That's kind of obvious. Nothing was normal to him. Uh, he was completely disoriented, living in a culture that didn't share his beliefs or his core practices as a believer in the God of the Bible. It meant that he lost all of his normal worship patterns and practices. No more temple, no more sacrifices. So no more corporate worship as he knew it. It really meant for him a personal crisis or a testing of his faith like he'd never experienced before. And this is what it meant for all the exiles of Jerusalem. And it meant being immersed, completely immersed in a worldly and broken political system. Now, as you hear that, friends, can you hear the echoes of our current cultural moment? Is this not our life? We are living in a kind of exile like Daniel did. And so the book, the books of exile, the books written to and about the exile are so relevant to us. We feel like we've lost all sense of normalcy. So many of us are still six months into this pandemic, still feeling so disoriented, and we should. That's normal. We have lost our corporate worship patterns. We are struggling in ways of being tested in our faith in, in many ways uh, like we never have before. And all the while, as November is approaching, we are living in a charged and a very broken, a very divided political system. This is our life. 
But exile, though it means difficulty, it doesn't have to mean defeat. That's what the book of Daniel is all about. God and his plan were not defeated by the exile. That was true of Daniel, and that is true of our situation now. The book of Daniel shows us what faithfulness in exile looks like. And uh, the title of this whole series, Faithful in Exile, kind of has two meanings. It describes Daniel and his friends, what it looks like to be faithful in exile, but even more so it describes God, who remains faithful even in experiences of exile, crisis, and difficulty. He's still in control and at work. The focus of this message is going to be on the main theme of Daniel chapter 2. It's entitled, The Wisdom to Understand. Now, this chapter tells us about a dream of Nebuchadnezzar. And a lot of times when we read this chapter, our focus is really on the dream. What is that dream all about? There was a statue and what's going on? We'll get to that next week. That's actually, I learned as I studied this week, not even the main, main point of this chapter. The main point is about wisdom. The wisdom to understand and the wisdom to understand what to think and what to do in life, especially life in exile and difficulty. Wisdom, as one author put it, is knowing the right way to do the right thing. It's understanding what the right thing is, and then it's practically applying that knowledge. It's not just knowing, it's actually practical knowledge, applied knowledge. That's biblical wisdom. Our need for wisdom is, like this is so great during this time. When what we think of as normal is gone, maybe it's gone for good. We don't know. When we can't worship like we used to, when our faith is challenged in new ways, when we are immersed in a political and cultural moment where tensions and divisions and pressures are so high in the middle of an election year, we are asking things. I am asking these things. What is the right thing? What's right? What's the right thing to think? What's the right thing to do? What's the right way to go about it? And if you think you already know and have it figured out, <laughs> this chapter is for you. And if you have no idea, and if you feel like, I don't know what the right thing is, I don't know what the right thing to do is in all this, this chapter is for you. We're going to walk through this story, and we're going to look at three things, what it teaches us about wisdom. It's going to teach us about our wisdom, human wisdom. It's going to teach us about God's wisdom. And it's going to teach us about how God gives us his wisdom, which we so desperately need in these times. So John, just a little bit earlier, read the heart of the, the passage, really the, the centerpiece and the heart of the entire chapter. But we're going to read the entire story. I'm going to read this and we'll go along as we move into these uh, points. We're going to look at this story unfold scene by scene. So let's look at the first scene in the story, which is really about Nebuchadnezzar and the wise men of Babylon, as they're called. So let's begin reading in chapter 2, starting in verse 1. And we'll put that up on the screen. In the second year of his reign, Nebuchadnezzar had dreams that troubled him, and sleep deserted him. So the king gave orders to summon the magicians, the mediums, the sorcerers, and the Chaldeans, so all his wise men, to tell the king his dreams. And when they came and stood before the king, he said to them, I have had a dream, and am anxious to understand it. The Chaldeans spoke to the king, May the king live forever. Tell your servants the dream, and we'll give the interpretation. So what did the king say? He said, Well, 
my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream and its interpretation, you will be torn limb from limb and your houses will be made a garbage dump. It's a pretty intense response right there. But if you make the dream and its interpretation known to me, you'll receive gifts, a reward, great honor from me. So make the dream and its interpretation known to me. So Nebuchadnezzar had a dream and he said, I'm not going to tell you what it is. You tell me what it is and interpret it. And they answered a second time, may the king tell the dream to us, his servants, and then we'll tell you the interpretation. Now, verse 8, the king said, I know for certain you're trying to gain some time because you see my word is final. If you don't tell me the dream, there's one decree for you. You have conspired to tell me something false or fraudulent until the situation changes. So tell me the dream and I will know. You can give me its interpretation. So they answered the king, no one on earth can make known what the king requests. Consequently, no king, however great and powerful, has ever asked anything like this of any magician, medium, or Chaldean. Next slide. What the king is asking is so difficult that no one can make it known to him except the gods, whose dwelling is not with mortals. Because of this, the king became violently angry, and he gave orders to destroy all the wise men of Babylon. The decree was issued that the wise men were to be executed, and they searched for Daniel and his friends to execute them. So that's the first scene. What's going on? Well, let's unpack this. It's clear that the dream that Nebuchadnezzar, it came from God. God gave Nebuchadnezzar a dream he couldn't understand, and it was so troubling to him, and no one could understand it. No one could tell him the dream, even the wisest people in the world at the time. And the whole point of the scene is this. God is teaching Nebuchadnezzar and the wise men of Babylon a lesson. And he is teaching us a lesson as well. And here it is. I just want to put it up here on the screen so we don't miss it. Human wisdom is limited and incomplete. It's a little bit comical, even though the threat of death is not very funny. But the fact that they're in this dialogue and Nebuchadnezzar's like, tell me the dream and its interpretation. They're like, that is impossible. And they're going back and forth in that way. Here we have the greatest ruler in the greatest nation in the world at the time. Here we have the best and the brightest, the wise men, as they're called multiple times in this chapter. They are helpless. They can't figure it out. And they're spinning around in cycles. The point is human wisdom is limited and incomplete. Now, I think it's both those words are important. They're overlapping concepts, but they're distinct. To be limited means, as human beings, there are some things we cannot know. We can't understand. It's beyond the limits of our understanding. For our human wisdom to be incomplete means there are some things we can't know, but we can't see the whole picture. We never see the entire perspective. So the wisdom we do have is always partial. Now, what happens when we don't believe this or accept it? Nebuchadnezzar shows us what happens, what it looks like when you don't accept what you don't know and what you can't know. What was his reaction? Well, he goes on this spectrum from troubled to anxious to unreasonable to angry to violent. And it happens really quickly for him. You know, when we refuse to accept what the Bible teaches us about human wisdom, Nebuchadnezzar is a picture of what happens with us. 
we will be somewhere along that spectrum, troubled, anxious, angry, unreasonable, and even violent. That's what happens. Nebuchadnezzar had this dream. He was so troubled by it. He needed wisdom to understand that was not just a human opinion. He needed to know it was so troubling. That's why he didn't share the content of the dream. He didn't forget it, like some interpreters have said. He knew it, but he was testing the wisest of the wise. He said, I need to know. It's very troubling, and I need to know not just book knowledge, not just what you learned in school. I need to know what this means. Now, applying this for us, with COVID, with cultural upheaval, all the instability going on, and we go, what is going on in the world? What's going to happen with all this? What does the future hold? What should we do? It's very troubling, and it should be. There's more anxiety that we're feeling than ever before. We were already in an epidemic of anxiety. It's getting, getting worse. There's so much unreasonable banter going on on social media and all kinds of media outlets. There's so much anger and even we've seen violence. This text is saying this is in part a response to the limits, the incompleteness of human wisdom. It can happen personally and it can happen corporately, massively, on a cultural scale. We can move along the spectrum from being troubled to being angry and things breaking down, like they did in this story. You know, we've seen the best of scientists and healthcare professionals who are doing a great job, who are doing their work, doing great work, but there's still so much they say we don't know yet about COVID. There's still so much we're learning. So many people have had to make hard decisions in government and schools and businesses and churches and people are making mistakes. Human wisdom is limited and incomplete. And if you say, but I, somebody just needs to tell me what to do, I demand an answer now. I need to know. The only thing that will happen is you'll move further down the scale from trouble to anxious to angry and unreasonable. Human wisdom is limited and partial. You know, it's especially hard to accept this when you are successful and powerful and you believe you have control over your life. Now, Nebuchadnezzar, of all people who ever lived, he felt like, I'm in control. He was an emperor who had conquered many nations. He was the top of the top. So when something hit him in his life that he couldn't explain or control, he freaked out. You will have a hard time accepting what you don't know and what you can't know if you think you're in control of your life. Our situation and being a control freak, it doesn't work well together. That's not a mix that'll work. And so God gave Nebuchadnezzar in this story something he couldn't control to teach him wisdom. Maybe this is something God is doing for you, for us. Let's look at the reaction of the wise men of Babylon. So that's Nebuchadnezzar. How did, how did they respond? And they actually should be commended, I think. Uh, we should give them a lot of credit here. On the one hand, they represent the limits and the, in, the partiality of human wisdom, even the smartest and the best of human wisdom. So they were being exposed. You guys, do you really know what dreams mean? Do you really have access uh, to the mysteries of life? No. But on the other hand, they are being honest about their limits. So they should be commended for that. When they say what the king is asking is so difficult, 
No one can make it known to the king except the gods whose dwelling is not with mortals. Yeah, these, these guys, even though they were not believers in the God of the Bible, they're expressing truth here. They're actually expressing what the Bible says is the beginning of real wisdom. Proverbs 1.7 says, The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. The beginning of wisdom is the fear, the respect of going past the limits of human knowledge. It's kind of like this. Uh, sometimes if you have a dog who is uh, a little bit uh, jumpy or a dog that will bite you if he doesn't know you, you put a sign out front in your window or in your fence, beware of dog. But the fear of the Lord when it comes to wisdom is kind of like the Bible saying there's a sign. Beware of God. Do not, as a human being, transgress the limits of human wisdom. That's the fear of the Lord. Here's what I want us to see here in this. You know, God sent Nebuchadnezzar a dream. He sent him a dream. Why did he do that? Well, it's, it becomes clear in the story is to show him the limits of his wisdom and the best of human wisdom available to him at the time. Let me put this next slide up because I think it applies to us. And I think there's application for our season of life now. God sends things into our lives to show us the limits of our wisdom and the best human wisdom available to us at the time. To be wise, then, is to acknowledge limits, incompleteness, and the bias of my wisdom as a human being. That's being wise. And on a human level, to be wise means we, we need to acknowledge that we need and must have the wisdom of other people, people especially whose experiences and whose stories and whose lives are very different than ours. Because all we have is partial and limited. But those two points. Uh, wisdom means, uh, I know my own biases, I know that I'm, I have partial incomplete wisdom, and I need the wisdom of other people, especially those who are different from me. We're not seeing that a lot. We're not getting that a lot from the culture around us. And what we encounter on a daily basis in the news, in, in the speeches and the promises of politicians and social media, do we get that? No. Instead, we get this is the way it is. This is the problem. Here is the answer. If you don't see it my way, you are wrong. Not only are you wrong, you are actually evil. Things are black and white. They're statements of brash and unqualified confidence in human wisdom. When was the last time you heard somebody say, I want to say something, but I am so limited in what I understand about this. Hey, I, I think I have something to share here. I know I don't see the whole picture. Or, I only see a small part of this, but let me share this. A person who believes what the Bible says about human wisdom will preface everything they say, if not verbally, but in the heart, with those statements. So scene one is all about human wisdom. Let's move in to scene two and see what's going on there. Nebuchadnezzar and the wise men fade off the scene, and Daniel, he comes on the scene here. And this is all about God's wisdom. So let's start with uh, verse 14. Daniel responded with tact and discretion to Arioch, the captain of the king's guard, who had gone out to execute the wise men of Babylon. He asked him, the king's officer, why is the decree from the king so harsh? 
And then Arioch explained the situation to Daniel. So Daniel went and asked the king to give him some time so he could give the king the interpretation. And then Daniel went to his house, and he told his friends Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah about the matter, urging them to ask the God of the heavens for mercy concerning this mystery so Daniel and his friends would not be destroyed with the rest of Babylon's wise men. The mystery was then revealed to Daniel in a vision at night, and Daniel praised the God of heavens. And this is the passage we already had read to us. May the name of God be praised forever and ever, for wisdom and power belong to him. He changes the times and seasons. He removes kings and establishes kings. He gives wisdom to the wise and knowledge to those who have understanding. He reveals the deep and hidden things. He knows what is in the darkness, and light dwells with him. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my ancestors, because you have given me wisdom and power, and now you have let me know what we asked of you. For you have let us know the king's mystery. I want to begin unpacking this with the transition statement from scene one to scene two. It's there. We read it in verse 14. Tact and discretion. Daniel responded with tact and discretion. Remember, this is in politics. This is Daniel, who was a court politician in Babylon. It is very hard to find tact and discretion in our current culture, in the political and social climate of outrage and attack and fear. Some argue, sadly, some Christians will make this argument that tact and discretion no longer apply when the stakes are high, right? Maybe you've heard that line of reasoning where it would go like this, by any means necessary because the end goal is so important. Don't you know what is on the line here? Tact and discretion? The time is over for that. Here, though, Daniel responded to the threat of death for his friends and himself with tact and discretion. The stakes could not have been higher. Here is what I believe we are meant to see from this. The reason that Daniel could respond in the way that he did was because he knew the difference between human wisdom that has limits and is incomplete and God's wisdom. He was able in the moment to ask, what's going on here? What, why is it so harsh, he asked, and not respond in anger. Not respond in anger and anxiety with more anger and anxiety, just to fuel the cycle. He was, in our current parlance, he was a non-anxious presence because he knew more was going on here than he could see and understand at the moment. He knew God was doing something. He just didn't know what it was. So he didn't jump or rush or tweet out something. He didn't say like, you know, guys, tweet out, Nebuchadnezzar is raging, anything like that. In this scene, we see two fundamental, essential teachings about God. They are so fundamental, so basic, but so important, and so easily forgotten, even by people who say, I believe in the Bible. I am a Christian. So Christian friends, when we forget these things, we get lost. We get anxious. We need to remember these things. What are they? There's two. First, the first aspect of wisdom here, God's wisdom, is what, what does God know? And the basic teaching is God knows everything. This is basic you know, Christian belief and doctrine. He has perfect wisdom. It's exhaustive. He knows this means the right way to accomplish the right ends. And we don't. He also has the power 
and the ability to accomplish those ends. Daniel says in verse 20, he has wisdom and power belong to him. And in verse 22, he says, he knows what is in the darkness. What is dark to us is not dark to God. He knows. Romans eleven thirteen, the Apostle Paul says a something similar. He says it like this. He had just finished a theology of the gospel of God's work in history, and he stops and he says, Oh, the depth of the riches and the wisdom and the knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and unscrutable his ways. Unsearchable, inscrutable. Unsearchable means you can't find it. It's beyond human limit. Inscrutable I had to look up the definition of what is inscrutable. It means impossible to understand. And that should give us both at the same time such humility. God's wisdom is unsearchable and unscrutable to human beings, but such trust. Because God is good. J.I. Packer, uh, the, the late but great theologian, he said this about wisdom. What, what is God's wisdom? It's the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. Wisdom is the power to see and the inclination to choose the best and highest goal together with the surest means of attaining it. That's God's wisdom. He knows the goal and he knows the best way to get there. Daniel was able to remain calm in chaos because he believed in God's wisdom and had a healthy distrust of his own. God can see what is best. God can see how to get there, even in exile. God knows. God knows what he is doing. That's the first essential teaching here. Second, what God knows and what God makes known. This is the teaching, uh, the, the official title for this doctrine is Revelation. Daniel believed not just that God is wise, but that God reveals his wisdom to us. He gives wisdom to the wise, verse 21. Verse 22, he reveals the deep and hidden things. This is the other fundamental, essential Christian teaching. It means this, God reveals to us what we need to know. Not everything we want to know. Not everything we think we need to know or sometimes demand to know, but God does reveal to us essential, fundamental, teaching of the Bible, God reveals to us what we need to know. And this means, friends, hear this, what God has revealed, what God has revealed is what enables us to trust him for what he hasn't. What God has revealed is what enables us to trust him for what he hasn't. One of the hardest things a Christian faces is trusting God for what he has not revealed. God has revealed himself in the Bible most clearly and finally in the person of Jesus Christ. God does reveal himself in, in the world in what he's made, and sometimes subjectively he gives us insight and wisdom we need to understand what to think and how to act according to that knowledge. But there are a lot of things that God doesn't reveal. And in those moments, what this teaches us is that we bank on the fact that God, in what he has revealed to us, has shown us enough that we can trust him. I want to do something here, and I'm going to use my hands. 
and maybe you can do this along with me. Kids, try this out. I want you to just make a, a, a rectangle or a square shape. And what I want to do is build a little rectangle of the Bible's teaching on wisdom. There's two parallel uh, lines, and then there's two vertical lines. The two parallel lines have to do with human wisdom. There's limits, and there is also value to human wisdom. That's what the Bible teaches. There are limits to human wisdom, so we need to guard against overconfidence. But we don't just throw all human wisdom out the door. Daniel 1.17, the Bible here, Daniel 1.17, calls actually Daniel's education in Babylon wisdom. All truth is God's truth. And so we need, as human beings, the wisdom of others. So we need to clearly and uh, we need to make sure that we, when, we, when it comes to human wisdom, understand its limits, but that doesn't mean we devalue it altogether. When it comes to God's wisdom, we need to remember the trustworthiness of God's secret wisdom. What he doesn't reveal to us, we can trust him with that. And the sufficiency of God's reveals, revealed wisdom, the trustworthiness of his secret wisdom, what he doesn't tell us, and the sufficiency of his revealed wisdom, what he does tell us. That within there, when we're struggling to know what to do, how to think, and what to, how to act, we work within that rectangle of the Bible's teaching on wisdom. Now, anything that doesn't recognize this, this rectangle or denies one of these pieces of the rectangle will be of little to no help to us in crisis. If there are just sound bites and tweets and headlines and reposts and parroting other people's opinions and quick responses and speaking without listening to other people's opinions and experiences, that will be especially empty in time of exile. We need to remember that rectangle, that square, because in that place is where God meets us with the wisdom we need, especially when we're in crisis, exile, and turmoil. So those are the first two scenes. We see uh, our wisdom, human wisdom. We see how it reveals to us God's wisdom. But there's a third scene, and that's what I want to walk through with you now. Scene three, let's look at that. Starting in verse 24 of chapter two. Daniel then, what happened next? He went to Arioch, whom the king had assigned to destroy the wise men of Babylon. He came and said to him, don't destroy the wise men of Babylon. Bring me before the king and I will give him the interpretation. Then Arioch quickly brought Daniel before the king and said to him, I found a man among the Judean exiles who can let the king know the interpretation. The king said in reply to Daniel, whose name was Belteshazzar, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? Daniel answered the king, no wise man, medium, magician, or diviner is able to make known to the king the mystery he asked about. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries, and he has let King Nebuchadnezzar know what will happen in the last days. Your dream and the visions that came into your mind as you lay in bed were these. Dot, dot, dot. We'll hold you in suspense as to what happens after that for next week. But there, here in this last scene, we see the final point how God gives us wisdom, as we see from scene two and then moving into this third scene. Verses 26 and 27 that we just read are really the heart of the story, you know, not, not the dream. And 
it's when Daniel's standing before the king and he says, are you able to tell me the dream I had and its interpretation? And Daniel says, no, I am not. I'm just a human being. But there is a God in heaven who reveals mysteries. He's saying not because I have more wisdom than anyone living. He says this later in verse uh, 30. I'm limited. I'm partial like everyone. But so you may understand, God has revealed this. The wisdom God gives, it's more than, than book knowledge. Tremper Longman says wisdom is a divinely given ability to have insight as to the best way to live life. So it's not just knowing what God reveals. The Bible says this or the Bible teaches this. It's the skill to live it out and to apply it. And here in this third scene combined with the second scene that we just looked at, what we see is how God gives us this wisdom as he gave Daniel the wisdom he needed in his moment of crisis. How does God give us his wisdom? Well, three ways. God gives us his wisdom first through prayer. Back in scene two in verse 17, after Daniel was given some time from the king, what did he do? He went to his friends and he said, he urged them to ask the God of the heavens concerning this mystery. So he, he prayed and he got people to pray with him. He said, what's happening? I don't know. God is up to something and I have no idea what it is. Let's pray. Let's ask him for wisdom. It's almost as if the whole thing, this whole story is a setup to get them to ask him for wisdom so he can give it to them. In the New Testament, in the book of James, chapter 1, verse 5, James, he says this. It's almost like it's a commentary on this chapter in the book of Daniel. He says in verse 5, If any of you lacks wisdom, which we've learned is every single human being, limited and partial. If any of you lacks wisdom, he should ask God, who gives to all generously and ungrudgingly, and it will be given to him. What a promise. This is for everyone, generously, ungrudgingly, and it will, James says, be given to him. God, this is saying, and Daniel is showing us, he wants to give us wisdom. God wants to give you the wisdom you need more than you want to ask for it. Generously, ungrudgingly, God is not, um, he's not going to discipline you for asking for the wisdom you don't have and that you need. He longs to give you that wisdom. Now, do you feel lost? Do you feel overwhelmed with all that's going on in your life and in the world? I feel that. I need this wisdom. Here's what encourages me about this passage and about what James says, that it is true. God wants to give us wisdom. He wants to show us what we need to know, to understand what to think and what to do. He wants us to help. He wants to help us trust him with the things that he isn't going to let us know. But he wants us to grow in trusting his wisdom for those things. It happens not by studying, but by prayer. Through prayer, also, God gives us wisdom in praise. The second sub-point here. Daniel did not rush off when God answered his prayer. Oh, thanks for the interpretation. Got to go. Got to save everybody's life. He actually pauses there and he praises. He begins with praise and he ends with praise in the prayer that he prayed for wisdom. I offer thanks and praise to you, God of my fathers, because you have given me wisdom and strength. Daniel was in a place to receive wisdom because he didn't worship his success, even his own comfort. He didn't worship Babylon. He didn't worship the king and his approval. 
when you are in a place of worship, when God is bigger and greater and more valuable and more important than anything else, this is saying then you are in the place of real wisdom. No matter how much book knowledge you have, you are wiser than the person with a degree from MIT, Harvard, and Oxford altogether. If you are in the place of worship, praising God is the place, according to the Bible, of greatest sanity and reality for a human being. It's the place we are open to receive and to hear the wisdom God wants to give to us. But when anything takes God's place as most valuable, important, and bigger, political party, the future we hope for, our comfort, our success, whatever it is, if that is what we truly worship, we cannot be truly wise. Our hearts are not open to the wisdom God wants to give us. Note on this, when I say praise, that doesn't mean always a happy, clappy, everything's good, smiling worship. No. Even in our greatest struggle for wisdom, when we feel most in the dark, we bring it to God in a spirit of praise, like Job, like the book of Ecclesiastes, like the Psalms of Lament, even the darkest Psalm, Psalm 88, are still brought, bringing the need for wisdom, and the struggle for wisdom to God in the posture of praise. So God gives wisdom in prayer through praise, and lastly, by becoming foolish. And the wisest man of Babylon said, King, what you ask is impossible. The gods dwelling with mortals, they, they don't dwell with us. The gods are not accessible to us. No one has ever asked for what you're asking. But Daniel, here's what happened. He staked everything, his life, his life of his friends, on doing just what they thought was impossible and utterly foolish. He had to become a fool in their eyes to become wise. It was the foolishness of Daniel that saved his friends from death, even his enemies. In this way, Daniel points us to Jesus Christ, who in doing what seemed foolish to us, to everyone, saved his friends, his enemies from death, and showed us the way of wisdom. 1 Corinthians 1.21 says, Since God in his wisdom, for since God, in God's wisdom the world did not know God, through wisdom God was pleased to save those who believe through the foolishness of what is preached. God's wisdom, the wisdom from above, has come to dwell with us. And what seemed like impossible and utter foolishness to the wisest men of Babylon, to the wisest and the smartest of the age. God has done. He has come to dwell with us in the person of Jesus Christ. And in what seemed foolish and weak to the world is the beginning, is the open door to understanding wisdom. Now, how do you know wisdom in yourself? How do you know it's there and in other people? I just want to close with looking at James chapter 3, 13 through 18. This, this becoming foolish to become wise, what does it look like? James says, uh, who among you is wise and understanding? Well, here's how you know. By his good conduct, he should show that his works are done in the gentleness that comes from wisdom. The wisdom from above is first pure and peace-loving and gentle, compliant, full of mercy and good fruits, unwavering without pretense. And the fruit of righteousness is sown in peace by those who cultivate peace. The question, who is wise? Is there ever, has there ever been a time that this question is more important? Who out there is wise? Who should I listen to? 
Whose opinion should I tune into? Who should I follow? Who can help me navigate life in this challenging time? Wisdom can be elusive. Wisdom can be mysterious. But the signs of wisdom and the marks of wisdom are actually not. They're actually fairly straightforward and simple. They're right here and easy to identify. Gentleness, honesty without pretense, peace-loving, full of mercy. Gentle, honest, full of mercy, peace-loving. Take a moment. Would you? Are you thinking and acting in these ways? Are the voices you are taking into your life characterized by these things? It seems so foolish, doesn't it? It seems weak, doesn't it? How will peace and loving gentleness and honesty and mercy do anything? accomplish anything and help with the problems we are facing. We need power. We need strength. We need answers. 1 Corinthians 1.25 says, The weakness of God is stronger than human strength. The foolishness of God is wiser than the wisdom of man. By becoming foolish and trusting in the wisdom of God, seen in the person of Jesus Christ, that is how God opens up the way of wisdom to us and turns us into people who can hear, understand, and act according to wisdom. Let's pray that God would do it in our hearts, in our lives, in these times. Would you pray with me? God, we need wisdom, and you tell us if we ask for it, anyone who asks, you'll give it generously, ungrudgingly, and so we ask. Give us wisdom as we go through a time that is so difficult and so many layers of crises and instability. May we not look to our own wisdom, but may we look to your wisdom and may we run into the wisdom who has come to us in Jesus. What seems so foolish to us that the wisest and the strongest it looks so weak and foolish, the cross of Jesus. Lord, that is our only hope and our salvation. And may we see our lives in this present moment through the mind of Christ. By your Spirit, we ask for it. And in the name of Jesus, we pray. Amen.